worship team. I love how even though our musicians are just playing instruments, they still sing and they still worship, and, and I think that's just awesome. So I was really, really glad when I saw that the video come up this morning that Seth is no longer um, in, element, in, uh, in uh, Ignite and that he's now in Element because, um, yeah, that would have gone really bad. Those of you who know my son know that he has no filter at all and just says stuff. In fact, at the moment, he's, he's having an argument with, with the school, with the high school. And the argument is around the fact that he needs to buy a science homework book. And he says, no, no, homework is given. I am not going to willingly buy homework. So I'm not quite sure where, where he's landing on that one and where the school is, but uh, it's a continual conversation. And, and I'm a bit concerned because it's term two and it still has not been resolved. So I don't think they've ever met anybody quite like Seth. So, so I hope you have all had a good Mother's Day. Um, Seth said his Mother's Day gift to me uh, this year was he woke up not grumpy. And if you live in our house, that is a phenomenal gift, and I'm really blessed. I'd like it to extend beyond today, but we'll see what happens. So I know traditionally on Mother's Day, you normally get a really nice message about moms. Yeah, I don't do that. Um, so uh, if that's what you thought, that's not what we're doing, and I really apologize for that. So I want to delve into the Old Testament. First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings covers a span of about a 400-year history of Israel. And what it looks at is it looks at how they went from um, starting out with getting a king in First and Second Samuel. You have Saul, who was the first king that they had, moves into David, who is the king that most people recognize as the great king of, of uh, Israel. But what happened, of course, is that um, David was the one who managed to unite Israel into, in all the tribes and became one. So, And those stories are covered in First and Second Samuel. And then in First and Second Kings, it starts off with uh, his son, with David's son Solomon. The problem we have is that Solomon dies, and when he dies, he's left the nation in a very split place, because Solomon himself was a divided man. He was divided in the way that he thought, and he was divided in his actions, and he was divided in the way that he did things. And we see this if you were to read the book of Proverbs. What you see is King Solomon when he is in right relationship with Jesus, right relationship with God. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, this is written when Solomon was out of relationship with God. He was away from God. So you have this person who is leading a nation who is, is completely divided. He's almost got a split personality. Unfortunately for Solomon, is he actually dies away from God. So what happens to the nation of Israel is that they end up by being divided. They end up by splitting. So you have this one nation that splits into two. And sometimes in your Bible, you'll, they'll refer to them as either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. Or more commonly, they say the Israel, uh, the, uh, they'll say Israel or they'll say Judah. Does that make sense? Excellent. So with Judah, what you had was there were pockets of good things happening. There were pockets of things going on that were good. But what you had in Israel was just complete and utter evil. In fact, Israel became so evil that that the nation just turned completely from God and fully embraced all the idols that were around and the different deities that lived in the community that they were. So each king, and if you read it through, you'll see, each king became more and more evil. 
it's quite interesting because the Bible also says that what walks in the Father runs in the Son. So that's why you have each generation becoming worse and worse. By chapter 16 of 1 Kings, things had gotten so bad in Israel that they actually began to follow pagan practices of uh, child sacrifice. In fact, when uh, one of the massive temp palaces had been built, they actually buried the firstborn son alive inside the foundation. So you know that when a nation reaches that point, when this is acceptable, that they're in a really bad state. So as God, of course, is hoping to remedy this, so what he does is he sends a prophet, and he's hoping to divert the nation from following a very evil path. He's hoping to change their mindset. He's hoping to change their society. And he's hoping to change their culture and the way that they think. So what he does is he sends a prophet. The king at this time is a guy called Ahab. And Ahab is pretty evil. And his wife, Jezebel, is even worse than he is. She is, she is evil personified. So you have this nation going down a very godless, awful path. And you have this king and a queen involved. And so authority always flows down. So whoever is in charge at the top, and this actually is uh, not just in a kingdom. It happens in churches, and it happens in your workplace, and it happens in your sports teams. Whoever is at the top, whoever is your captain, whoever is your pastor, whoever is your boss, whoever is the CEO of the company you work for, whoever is in charge of the government, what happens is the authority flows down. So you will get what they are like. So the reason why this nation had become so godless is because of the evilness of Ahab and Jezebel. So what God does is, to answer the worst king that's ever come across, is he raises up one of the, the most greatest Old Testament prophets you'll ever meet, which is Elijah. So Elijah actually steps into the pages of our, of our history books in chapter 17 of First Kings. And it says this in verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite, one of the Gilead leaders, spoke to Ahab. And Elijah said to him, As the Eternal lives, the true God who gives life to the Israelites, the God whom I serve, no rain or dew will touch the earth unless I give word. Now you have to understand, this is a completely shocking statement for him to make. He is actually speaking to the monarch, to the king, and he's speaking to the people who actually do not believe in God. He's actually speaking to people who believe in the, in the um, idol Baal. So what he's saying to them is that, I serve God. I serve the true God, the God who gives life to you, and it's not going to rain at all. The other thing that's so shocking about this is that Ahab believed that Baal was the one who would actually gives rain and withholds rain. He was a, a, a god to do with um, their agricultural society. So when Elijah says this, what he's done is completely challenged their perception, he's challenged their god. And at first, they actually don't believe him. But as time goes on, the whole of Israel comes into complete and utter shambles because a, a period of three and a half years follows where there is no water which means there is no crops for food, means that there is no grass for their cattle. They fall into what would be similar to what the Great Depression did after the war. So you have these people, an agricultural society, who fully relies on the rain, having the rain withdrawn for three and a half years. 
they, of course, in turn begin to cry out to Baal to say, save us, Baal, fix this Baal. At that time in their history, the child sacrifices increased. A lot of other atrocities increased. And Ahab goes looking for Elijah because he needs Elijah to turn this around. He needs Elijah to stop doing this because they are dying. They, as a people, are completely starving. And finally, in chapter 18, we have this confrontation between the prophets of Baal and between Elijah. It's probably one of the greatest showdowns that you'll ever read about in all the Bible. It's actually an amazing thing that happens. So what happens, hopefully you know the story. I'm just going to paraphrase it. So what happens is they come together. Elijah finally turns up and says, okay, let's do this thing. So they come together, and the prophets of Baal, for six hours, six hours, begin to cry out to Baal to save them, to, to, because they built an altar, they put their sacrifice on it, and Baal had to answer by fire. So they're calling out for six hours. So Baal's not answering. Elijah's mocking them. So what they do is they begin to take knives, and they begin to take rocks, and they begin to slash themselves so that the blood would flow. So blood's flowing everywhere. The whole thing's a mess. After six hours of nothing happening, them slicing and cutting themselves up, and Elijah mocking them, they're done. Now, I don't know if they're done because they were tired, they were exhausted. I don't know if they were done because they were all just bled out and they were just dying all over the place. But whatever happens, they're done. So then Elijah says, it's now time for the evening sacrifice. The evening sacrifice is actually about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So he gets his altar, throws his sacrifice on it, and then soaks it with water. Soaks the sacrifice, soaks the wood, so there's actually a moat of water around it. He prays, God answers by fire, completely consuming the altar, consumes the sacrifice, consumes every bit of moisture, like that. Then all the people, all the people who are watching, just fall down and they go, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And what happens then is that Elijah gathers up all 450 of the prophets, or those who are left, and slaughters them. Completely just executes every last one of them, so that they're all gone. Now this is a phenomenal, amazing miracle. And it's one of those things that you read about, and it excites you, and you're like, yes, God won, because we always love it when that happens. But there are six little verses after the story. And they get missed a lot because it's not quite as exciting as, as, the, as the miracle with the fire coming. But they're actually vitally important. And I don't want us to overlook them because I actually believe that they are actually quite crucial for us as a church in the next season that we're about to enter. So we're going to pick up our story in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. And Elijah says to Ahab, You should go fill your belly with food and water. I hear a heavy rain coming. Ahab did as Elijah instructed and went to eat and drink. Elijah journeyed to the pink of Mount Carmel. There he bowed down on the ground and placed his head between his knees. Elijah said to his servant, Go now and look in the direction of the sea. The servant returns to Elijah, I did as you asked, and there is nothing in the direction of the sea. Elijah gave him the same instruction, Seven times. Go back and look in the direction of the sea. So after the servant would go, and he would come back. Seven times this was repeated. Then finally he comes back and he says, on the seventh time, he says, a tiny, minuscule cloud, 
the size of the hand of a man is ascending from the sea. Elijah said, go quickly and give a message to Ahab for me. Prepare your tra- chariot and leave quickly before the rain gets torrential and keeps you from traveling. The sky became filled with dark, monstrous clouds. The wind grew wild and the heavy rain fell, and Ahab traveled quickly in his chariot to Jezreel. The strength of the Eternal filled Elijah. The prophet pulled up his garment around his thighs and sprinted ahead of Ahab the entire way to Jezreel. So what we have, and that's actually phenomenal, that last sentence, if you think about it, Ahab is in his chariot with his horse, and they are racing as fast as he can to Jezreel. And then Elijah just picks up his garment and runs faster than the chariot and the horse. Like, think Flash or Dash from The Incredibles. Like, that is super fast. The reason why he did that is so that he could get there to proclaim that God has sent the rain. See, the coming of that rain was the final proof that Baal was impotent and that the Lord God of Israel was supreme. And I believe that we as a church are actually about to enter into a season that's going to require us to have faith, going to require us to have unexplained, crazy, believing God for miracles kind of faith. And it's the kind of faith that requires us all of us to have for the journey ahead. The world culture at the moment is turning away from the things of God violently and angrily. They are turning away and they're going down a very dark and twisted path. And for the church globally to be able to shine a light into that situation and to be able to bring people into a place where they can hear from God means that we have to have crazy, believing God for miracles, unexplained things happening kind of faith. We have to be able to join together as a body, as a family, as a church to be able to do this for our community and our nation. But before we can do that, you're going to have to grow your faith in your own personal world. And this is why today for me was such an important message to bring to you. I want you to come away looking at three things from that little passage that will help you journey through your own personal growth and faith so that we can come together as a body and actually bring change to our nation. The first thing is that even though we have a promise for God's provision, we are not to stop praying for its fulfillment. You see, Elijah retired to pray for God had promised them the rain, but Elijah still had to go and ask for it. See, Zechariah 10.1 says, Pray to the Eternal, asking for rain in the spring. He is the one bringing the storm clouds. He fills them with heavy rain, showers of rain for the plants and for the fields and for everyone. See, the thing that I find quite interesting about this whole thing is that we have promises that we stand upon in the Word of God, things that God has said to us. Do you know that Second Corinthians says that the promises of God are yes and amen? What that actually means is that the whole bounty of heaven, every bit of help that you need, every bit of grace that you need, every bit of peace that you need, every bit of joy that you need, every bit of healing that you need, every bit of financial prosperity that you need, every single part of this resides in heaven. And the promises for us as children of God are yes and amen. And that means that you can lay claim to it. But you have to ask. You have not because you asked not. 
This is why it's vitally important that you read your Bible. Not because I want you to be bored, but because I want you to know what your promises are so that you can say, God, you have promised me this. When the doctor comes and he says the word cancer, you can go, but the word says this, says that I am healed. When he comes and, he's, and the devil's saying to you and piling you with all this debt because you made some bad decisions, you go to Jehovah Jireh, who's the Lord who provides, and you claim the scriptures. You say, God, you have promised this because his promises are yes and amen. But if you don't know what his word says, how can you ask? The second thing we see is one of the postures of prayer. And we see that Elijah bent down and put his face between his knees. I find that quite interesting. It would have probably been quite uncomfortable, I believe. And I'm thinking about why would he do that? Well, first of all, it says that he took himself away. He took himself away so that he was not able to hear what the world was saying and what was going on around him. Because think about it. He's just executed or slaughtered 450 men, 450 prophets. They had family who loved them. Do you think they actually sat there quietly and didn't mourn for them? Do you think there wasn't wailings? Do you think the people weren't grieving and there wasn't tears and gnashing of teeth? And to be honest, there's probably looting going on in their homes because their loved ones are trying to gather up the bodies that have been slaughtered. This was not a quiet thing that happened. And all of this happens on the same day. So this would have happened probably an hour later. He's there praying. Why? Because he didn't want to be distracted by what the world says. He doesn't want to be distracted by what's going on out there. The other thing he does is that he covers his eyes. Bends his, if you've got your, your face between your knees, you can't see anything. Because we are not to see as the world sees. We are not to see what they look at. We are to see with eyes of faith. We are to hear with eyes of faith. Elijah says, I hear the sound of rain coming. How could he have heard that? Because he was hearing in the spirit realm. He was hearing with faith. He kept his eyes averted so that he was focused upon God. And that is one of the postures that you have to have. Do not allow this world to distract you, and it will distract you. Get yourself away somewhere when you're believing and you're praying. The book of James says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But we stumble at that, I think, because we see the word righteous and we panic. Because when we're stepping out in faith, when we're believing God for a miracle, we begin to think we must tick off a list of good Christian things to do. So when we want to step out in faith, we think about, how often am I reading my Bible? How often am I going to church? How often am I praying when it's not about me? How often, am I, and we, we judge ourselves and we go, I can't pray and I can't, I'm not righteous, so therefore I'm not even going to pray about it. Or else we go, I haven't done it so well, so maybe I can't pray about it. The problem with that is that, you know what? You're right, you are not righteous, but he is. You're looking at righteousness the wrong way. It's not about am I righteous because the Bible says that my righteousness is as filthy rags. But what happens is, is that we take on the righteousness of Jesus. When you accepted his love, when you accepted his sacrifice, when you accepted his lordship, what you did was at that moment you exchanged clothes. He took your filthy rags. He, Jesus gave you his righteousness and you put that on and when you pray, you're praying from his righteousness. You're praying from his place. You stand in the love and the will of God, covered in the blood of Jesus, bathed in his righteousness, and that is what he sees. So anyone who has accepted Jesus can pray as a righteous man. I don't care if you happen to swear at your boss, kick the cat, 
you know, fed dog food to the kids because they were annoying you. It doesn't matter if you do any of that stuff. Not that I ever have. Just want to clarify. But what happens is you are still bathed in the blood of Jesus. And that is the position you pray from. I am righteous because of what he has done. I pray from victory because of what he has done. I don't have to do anything. I'm just, the, I'm the kid. I'm the child. I just have to go, Father, please. That is how we pray. The third thing we see is the importance of persistent prayer. Seven times Elijah's prayed. Seven times the servant went backwards and forwards. The Bible doesn't tell us how far the servant had to travel. I tried to look it up on Google Earth, but it just became a mish, um, just to see. But I, I then looked it up on just on the normal Google Maps, and I could see, like, what they, where Mount Carmel is, you can see where it kind of fits. And I was like, he probably had to go up over the ridge. So I'm thinking it would have taken at least an hour to get there and get back. So seven times the servant goes. And I often think to myself, how would, how would I have done that? Would I have gone seven times? And, and if I did, what would I be thinking? You know, the first time, you'll be full of faith. Because honestly, you just saw him call down fire. So of course you're going to be full of faith. But when you get there and there's nothing, oh, okay, so you go back, no, sorry, there's nothing. And, and, and probably you'll be making up excuses in your head because it didn't get answered, your prayer didn't get answered straight away. The second time you go out again, and you'll still be feeling full of faith because, you know, sometimes these things take time, and we know that. You know, people have to pray more than once for some things to come to pass. But there's still nothing, so, so you walk back. The third time, you're probably feeling optimistic because, you know, third time's a charm, isn't that what they say? And then, and then you hit nothing again. The fourth time, when you pray and nothing happens, you're like, I don't, I don't understand. I, I'm not sure what's happening. Confusion begins to set in. And sometimes, a little bit of doubt. The fifth time, you actually are begging. You're not asking anymore. You're begging, oh, please, God, please, God. I don't understand what's going on. Please, God, fix this. Please, God, do this. Please, God, heal this. Please, God, provide that. Please, God, please, God. But there's no faith in that. You know, you're literally begging. The sixth time when you go out to pray again, you'll be like, I don't know why I'm doing this. It's not going to work. God's not listening. You know, I'm obviously too sinful. I've obviously screwed up here, done this, whatever reasons we come up with. And then the seventh time when you go out, nine times out of ten, it's usually just out of obedience. You're like, okay, here we go. You know, you've got to be disciplined in what we do. I'll go and pray one more time, God. And then it happens. The servant saw something. on that. Servant. I mean, I don't know if sometimes he just sat down and pretended he went because he was tired. He was sick of going backwards and forwards. I, I can see myself going, I'm just going to sit here. I'll wait an hour, and then I'll go back and just tell him I never saw anything. But he goes that seventh time, and he sees something. And it's so tiny, and it's so minuscule. He's not even sure exactly what it is. And then he comes back and goes, well... There's this teeny tiny little cloud. And it's like way over there, coming up out of the sea. I'm not quite sure how that's supposed to produce rain. You see, great blessings often come from the smallest beginnings. We are not to despise small things, but we are to hope and wait for the great things to come from them. Such small things can become the greatest blessings that we have. What was phenomenal for this, for, for this people is that that tiny cloud became a monstrous black cloud that brought in rain like a flood. 
and they got the rain. And I know what some of you are thinking. You'll be sitting here thinking, yeah, well, I've prayed for this and it hasn't happened. And, and you know what? I totally get that. I've prayed for things and I'm still waiting for them to come to pass. And I know that Craig has shared with you guys a little bit about what happened over by our section, but there's a whole bunch of stuff he didn't share in that. You see, I started praying for a house for us in November of 2015. I decided that I looked around and realized that based on the, our current personal position, financial position and based on the current real estate climate, we were never going to be able to afford to buy a house. It was just not going to happen. So I did the only thing I thought to do, and I turned to my father, and I said, God, I kind of need you to do this. And so I started praying. What I did was I got a whole, um, I got some pictures of what kind of house I wanted. I wrote down what I wanted to have. I got some scriptures, scriptures like Psalm 37, verses 3 to 7. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. I also had Jeremiah 29:11 to 12. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Joshua 1 to 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. 2 Corinthians 9.10 Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. I, there are a whole bunch of others. And I wrote, typed them all up. I made it into a poster, made it look all pretty because that's just what I do. And I stuck it on my wardrobe door. I did that in November 2015 and every day. Sometimes I just lay my hand on and go, Thank you, God, for our house. Thank you, God, that you're going to make a way where there isn't a way. Other times I would look at one of the scriptures and I would pray over one of those scriptures. And I did this for years, for a long time. And about 18 months later, I got to the place where I had decided and I found a section that I thought we should buy. And I really believed that God had spoken quite clearly to me about it. And I really believed I had a scripture to back it up. So I went to Craig and I said to him, uh, we need to buy the section. And he's going, we can't. We don't have enough for the deposit. No, well, you know, I, I think we can do this. So I bullied him into coming. And we went and saw the real estate agent. And it looked like, yep, that was fine. So uh, we were slightly short of what we needed. So with the help of our family, we managed to put down uh, the 10% deposit. Now, all the research we'd done and all the stuff that we'd looked at had told us, uh, you look at all the websites of the banks, you look at all the websites of building companies, what they say is that you can do this with a 10% deposit and build a house. Yeah, that wasn't quite true. Found that out the hard way. We went, we, 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 we had a period of time before we needed to come up with the rest of the money. And I went uh, and we cleared our debt because we knew, we knew we needed to clear all our debt. So we worked hard, cleared our debt, went to the bank, and they said no. Like, oh, but the, the date when we needed the money is coming up. Went to another bank, and they said no. Went to another bank, and they said no. And everybody's saying to us, oh, you need to have 20%. I said, okay, well then, can we borrow 80 and do a bridging loan for the last 10%? No. If you do that, you can't do it. But we have no deal. We can service the loan. You know, we were going through this. The whole time I'm praying, saying, God, I thank you that you can make a way where there wasn't a way. But it wasn't quite happening. So we kept praying. And we kept praying. And we kept going to banks and other companies, and we kept getting turned down, and we got turned down by everybody. I think in the end there were 
10, yeah. There were 10 different banks and finance companies we went to. Got to the point where, right? Yeah, so we got to the point where the money was due on this particular day. And we tried, we'd gone to them, we found out, oh, we actually, no, that's not quite right. What happened was, we went to one company, and they were a building company, and they said, this is what we'll do. We'll buy the land off you, and then resell it back to you with the price of the house, and blah, 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 and you can do this, and it's all fine, and it won't actually cost you any money, apart from, you know, any additional money. We're like, okay, that's great, let's do that. They came back to us a week later with the plan of the house and said, we are so sorry, they've changed the covenants on your land and now you can't build the house that we originally talked about. It has to be this, it has to be more expensive. We looked at that and there was no way we could afford that. And I'm like, what are you doing, God? Like, I heard from God. I believed I'd heard from God. Everything else fell into place. Why is this happening? So we came to the day where we had to have the money. We didn't have it. I remember thinking, God, we did everything. We, we've been praying for flipping months and months and, and we've done everything you've said and we tithe and we've been believing and Craig at this stage was a complete cock case. And I'm like, and I'm having to be strong and I want to cry because it's my fault. I was like, I convinced him that this was right, and I was wrong, and I didn't hear from God, and I'm an idiot, and I'm foolish. And he, he, your mind just starts racing, and I'm thinking, how in the world? And I can't say any of this to Craig, because he was falling apart, so somebody else had to have faith, and I didn't. I was at the point where I was like, I have no faith for this. I don't understand God. And God, because other things were happening, so we went to them, and we said, we can't afford to buy this house. We can't afford to complete the purchase of the land. We couldn't get out of the deal. Um, they weren't going to let us out at all. So they said, if we don't have the money in another X number of days, oh, and so they started charging us extra $100 a day. Every day we were late, we getting charged an extra $100. Then it got to the point where they said, if you don't have the money by this day, we're taking you to court. And I'm like, this is just awful. And I'll be honest, I'm like, I gave up everything to come and pastor this church. We sold our house in Manurewa, and to come here and pastor your church, you said that if we put your house first, that you would take care of us, and I don't feel like you're taking care of me. And honestly, this is what I'm thinking, because I'm not saying this to Craig, and I'm thinking, I have screwed us. I have so screwed us. And I got up really early. So the due date came, of course, and it passed. We were just getting billed more and more of this money, and, and I got up about four days later, and it was about 4.30 in the morning. And I was just reading my Bible as I do, and having this quiet time. And, and I'm like, God, I don't understand. I really felt, felt him saying to me, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And I was like, okay, worst thing that's going to happen. Worst thing that's going to happen is it's going to take us to court. If the court won't agree to let us pay it off, um, then the worst thing that's going to happen is we'll have to declare bankruptcy. So kind of thinking that through. I was like, well, it's just money. I have a job. So I guess that's okay. You know, we'll be okay. Like it wasn't like I didn't have a job. And we can actually, you know, you know, we'll be all right. So it was kind of thing like that. And then I thought, actually, my husband's really good. You know, I thank you, God, that he has never blamed me for getting us into this situation, for not hearing from God, for making a massive mistake and financially screwing us. Like, you know, thank you, God, that, that he's, he's actually really good about it. 
and that he's not only there, but he's actually a man of God and he believes God and he follows God. And I know some people whose husbands aren't like that. I know some women whose husbands are away from God. So I thank you, God, for that. I thank you, God, that my children are in the house. Thank you, God, that my children serve. Because I know some parents who are despairing because their children have walked away from God. So I thank you, God. I am blessed. I have a husband who loves me and follows Jesus. I have children who love God for themselves, who are following after him. I thank you, God, actually, that we have a great team of people at our church, actually, around us. You know, people on our leadership team who are so supportive. I thank you, God, that you blessed us with some really great people. I thank you, God, that you blessed me with a great church full of awesome people who, who, are, who are becoming family. And it's not just about we're all attending the same church. We are creating those bonds of love. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you, God, actually, that I would never have been here if you hadn't bothered saving me. If you hadn't bothered coming to find me and looking for me and searching for me. And if you hadn't have given me that opportunity to, to have a relationship with you, God, I know where I'd be and I thank you for that. And I actually spent about an hour crying and thanking God for all the blessings that I had. So that even, and I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I may have made a mistake. And I don't care. I'm sorry, God, if I screwed up and I thought it was you and it wasn't and I apologize for that. Um, but I am thankful and I am blessed. And I know that even if I have to spend the next 30 odd years paying back this money that we're about to, to probably lose and, you know, it's actually okay because you will work all things together for good. Because that's what your word says. And I actually had a completely different encounter with God that morning. I'd stop begging. I'd stop crying. I'd stop pleading. And I'd just been thankful for what he had given me. So Craig gets up and I said to him, I was smiling. I hadn't been smiling for days. And I was like, no, it's a good day today. And he's going, no, it's not. <laughs> like, and I said to him, I want to go out and see the land. And he's like, what? I said, no, I said, we, we need to go out and see the land. And he's like, oh, what's the point? I said, please, can you just, can you just drive out there with me? So we drove out there and, and I walked along the land. I remember standing there and I went, you know what, God? If this is not our land, then I just release it. Release it to whoever it is that's supposed to have this land. But I wanted, just wanted to say thank you, God, because you actually taught me something. Later on, uh, the next day, actually, um, or actually, I'm not even sure exactly how many days it went through, but by the end of that week, We'd had a friend come to us and offer to loan us the money so that we could get the mortgage, so that we wouldn't end up going to court. We also had somebody else put $12,000 in our account. I have no idea who that was. God led them to do that. And by the end of that week, we'd actually signed the section and it was ours. It was unbelievable how that shift happened. You see, the people of Israel, when they sat and watched Elijah call down fire, wasn't actually fire they needed. What they needed was rain because they were starving, because they were dying. What they needed was living water. What I needed in that moment when I was losing hope was living water. And too often we go to God with the things that we want and the things that we think we need. And what you actually need is living water. What you need 
is living water. There are dreams that you've got. There are hopes that you've got. There are steps of faith that you have taken and you think that it is dead and you think that it is gone. There have been seeds that you have planted and you think it's died. But our God specializes in raising things from the dead. Our God specializes in giving you hope when it looks hopeless. One tiny cloud rises from the sea and it brings a torrential rain that the Spirit of God brought massive amounts of rain and sweeps through the whole of that nation like a flood. What we have and what we need is the Holy Spirit to come in and sweep through our life like a flood. Because wherever you read about water in the Bible, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So I don't know if you're at the same place that I've been at. I don't know if you have something dead that you think is never going to come to pass. I don't know if you're believing in faith for the salvation of your loved ones and it hasn't coming and it looks destitute and doesn't look like it's ever going to come to pass. But I want to pray with you today that the Spirit of God will begin to reign that you will begin to see the cloud begin to arise and it will bring in His Spirit. So why don't you get to your feet? And if that's you, if you need someone to stand with you this morning, I'd like you to come to the front so we can pray with you. It could be a salvation of a loved one. It could be that you're looking for a financial breakthrough. It could be that you've had a diagnosis from the doctor or a family member's had a diagnosis from the doctor and you need healing for. And if that's you, we're going to pray with you. So I need you to come so that we can pray. So as the guys sing, just come.